0: to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com.
1: I'm with Russell Investments Chief Investment Officer, Greg Nahn. This presentation is being recorded and will be available on our website, all our social media sites, and podcasts, which is called The Free Lunch. Before we begin, when you turned on your camera today, you were most likely expecting to see my colleague Colin Andrews. Just so you're aware, Colin underwent long-awaited hip surgery last week and is currently at home recovering, so we do want to shout out to Colin, let him know that we are thinking of him, and wishing him a speedy recovery. So instead of Colin, you get me. I'm Stephen Molina, I'm a Senior Wealth Advisor with the CM Group, and I'll be hosting today's webinar with Greg. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Before we get to the questions, I do want to give our participants some background. We've had a long-standing relationship with Russell Investments for over a decade now, and Greg has, on uh, numerous times, provided timely and important feedback to our clients from especially an institutional point of view. It's not often you get a portfolio manager like Greg to present, so we're happy to have him here with us today. As I mentioned, Greg is the Chief Investment Officer with Russell, and he's responsible for all aspects of investment management at Russell, including the fixed income pool and multi-asset investment teams at Russell. Today's conversation will be focused on fixed income and getting Greg's views on the current environment based on many of the same questions we've been getting from our clients. What's going on with fixed income? It's been a steady performer for many of our clients' portfolios over the years, but this year seems to be a little different and it's been difficult. Greg,
2: fill me in. What's new? How are things in your world? Thanks, Steve. It certainly has been a challenging year in fixed income for sure. And I don't use this word lightly, but it really is unprecedented. The magnitude of the increases in the central bank rates increase in bond yields. And unfortunately, the magnitude of the sell-off or the drawdown in fixed income markets are all things that, frankly, we haven't seen in over 40 years in fixed income markets. So it really has been a very challenging environment. And of course, this is occurring at the same time that equity markets are struggling as well. So it's really been a challenge for investors this year, for sure. Give us a brief explanation
1: of what's causing bond, fixed income values to fluctuate as much as they have this year?
2: The short answer, Steve, is inflation. Inflation has been higher and has stuck around longer than both the market and the central banks were expecting. This time last year, or even in the fall of last year, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve in the US was talking about inflation being transitory and how they expected it once the supply chains came back online and some of those COVID crisis excesses came out of the system, that inflation would rapidly fall back to target. Well, as we've learned through the first number of months of 2022, that wasn't the case. Those were contributing factors, of course, but that inflation was stickier. It was going to stay around longer and at a higher level than they had initially anticipated. Therefore, early in the new year, they did change their course and started aggressively increasing the central bank rates. And actually, the Bank of Canada was one of the first to get started on this rate hiking cycle. Inflation is problematic for almost all financial assets. Inflation is not good for government bonds. Inflation is not good for corporate bonds. Inflation is not good for growth equities and inflation is not good for value equities. There's not a lot that does well. It's not good for real estate either. So, there's not a lot of assets that perform as well in an inflationary environment. Unfortunately, that's what we have been in for really the last 18 months or so. I guess the good news is we think that we're near the end of that environment. That we do expect inflation to be coming down as we get into 2023 as a result of what the central banks have been doing, and that they're probably pretty close to being done their hiking cycle. But again, because inflation has been so prevalent, central banks have had to be very aggressive in hiking interest rates, and that has forced bond yields higher. And the basic math in bonds, if yields are increasing, prices are declining. And so with prices declining, that's where you've had your negative returns and your fixed income assets so far this year.
1: Has there ever been a time in history that we've seen the central banks be this aggressive with their interest rate hikes?
2: I mean, you'd have to go back to, in the US anyways, the local era. He was chairman before Greenspan. And so we're talking late 70s, early 80s. And they did not necessarily hike rates as quickly as what's happened this year, but they were hiking for an extended period of time. And so for some of you, you may recall in the early 80s, interest rates, 12 14 16%. Inflation was running 12 to 13%. If you're unlucky to you have to take out a mortgage at that point, your mortgage was probably 14% mortgage. Inflation was a real problem in the late 70s yeah the energy crisis president carter and so on probably some of their policies probably made it worse and so central banks back then needed to get very aggressive hiking interest rates to combat inflation the difference then though was labor or wages there was that wage price spiral because unions and labor was arguably a stronger voice or a larger component of the labor market since then outside of some public sector unions, the number of people who are a member of a union has declined quite significantly. And so there isn't the same sort of automatic price increases that we may have saw back then. But that was a good roadmap of where things have kind of occurred here. We think that because this time central banks were a little quicker to get going, they were still a little bit late They should have been hiking rates last year instead of waiting until this year. They should have stopped quantitative easing, and we probably had too much fiscal stimulus as well. But I do think they were a little bit quicker than they were back in the 70s and 80s, and you don't have the same wage pressures as you had back then. We're not going to see double-digit inflation, and we're not going to see double-digit interest rates, and we're not going to see double-digit mortgage rates. They are a lot higher than they were. A year ago, bond yields were 1%. Now they're 4%. Mortgage rates have gone up quite a bit from where they were, but they're still in the mid-single-digit range, which I think is close to where they're going to stop.
1: We've been explaining to our clients for years about the virtues of diversification. Stocks go up and down. Bonds add a layer of security. They don't necessarily move in the same direction. And when they do, they're usually not as volatile. Is this holding true in the current environment? We've seen some very big pullbacks in the bond market. When do we expect to see a recovery?
2: A couple of key points you've raised there, Steve. In the short term, the answer is no, they haven't really acted as that stabilizer in your portfolio, unfortunately. We have seen a big negative price return in bonds. They've been, we would say, is positively correlated to equities when normally they're negatively correlated. So they've both moved down. Quite frankly, in 2020 and 2021, they're both moving up together. Certainly, over the last 12 months, they've both moved down together, and that's been a problem. If you have a balanced portfolio or 60-40 type portfolio, it's been a very challenging environment with both stocks and bonds selling off. And again, the reason for that is because this environment has been driven by inflation fears, and inflation is bad for stocks and bonds. So the fact that they move together over this shorter time period is not a good thing, but is understandable. Going forward, though, I do think the relationship is going to change and that the protection element of fixed income or that stabilizer or that anchor in your portfolio is going to come back to the forefront. And the reason I say that is because, at least based on our outlook and our expectations, is that we're in the midst of a transition from markets being driven by fears of inflation moving ever higher to fears of a recession and growth slowing significantly. And in a slow growth environment or in a recessionary environment, that's where bonds perform the best, especially government bonds. You generally see interest rates coming down, especially shorter term bond yields coming down quite a lot. You sometimes also get what we call the flight to quality or flight to safety. People get concerned in a recession about earnings, slowing earnings or negative earnings from your equities, and maybe your equity markets still struggle. And so they shift assets from equities to fixed income, and then, of course, benefits fixed income. That's where I think we are. We're in the midst of this transition. And so if we do see a recession next year, or at least significantly slower growth, I expect bond yields to actually move lower, not higher, and that should provide a tailwind to the return. The other thing I'll just mention quickly about the bond market now and what's different now than where we were 12 to 18 months ago is that, remember I've said, central banks have hiked rates, so yields have moved higher. That's caused prices to come down. But I guess the positive is yields or the income you're now getting from your fixed income holdings is much higher now than it was. You're now getting 4 to 5% yields in fixed income, Whereas 12 to 18 months ago, it was more like 1.5% income or yield off of your fixed income. And so that higher yield really helps in two ways. One, as I just said, it gives the investor's income, the cash flow that comes off of those coupon payments that they're receiving. And it also acts as a bit of a cushion in case interest rates keep moving higher. And we've done some scenario analysis that looked at what happens if yields from here were to continue to move 100 basis points higher. So moving from 4% to 5%, let's say, for round numbers, what kind of return should you expect with a yield of 5%? Well, you would still get your yield of 5%. You would have a negative price return if yields moved 100 basis points higher. You would have a negative price return of about... 7% 7% to 7.5%. But then you've got your 5% yield. So your negative return is about 1.5%. Not good, not anything anyone would be happy with. But that's really kind of our worst case scenario for 2023. If yields don't go anywhere at all, if they just stop going up and just go sideways from here, which could happen if growth continues to limp along and central banks stop hiking rates in the first quarter of next year. Well, then you still get your yield. So you still get a four to 5% return in fixed income, which is not bad. I think most fixed income investors would be happy with that outcome. And then on the off chance that we do hit a recession and growth does slow and bond yields fall, if they were to fall 100 basis points from here, so moving from three and a half to 4% down closer to 3% or a bit lower, You would get about a seven to eight percent capital gain, plus you would get your five percent yield. So now you're talking about a 13% return just from your fixed income. So what we look at is the asymmetry in expectations. Worst case in our minds going forward is you lose one and a half to 2%. Base case is you make four to five. Best case, you make 12 to 13. The skew is now in your favor, whereas 12 to 18 months ago, when yields weren't 4 to 5%, when yields were 1%, 1.5%, the asymmetry was very much against you. The worst case scenario was much worse than the best case scenario was good. So that's been a real shift in the bond market from over the last 18 months or so.
1: So over the next year, then, you had mentioned that central banks are probably near Ending the rate hikes, where do you see them actually sitting at? If we were to look out a year from now, where do you see that being?
2: Certainly, we were, like most, behind the curve this year. If we were having this conversation at the beginning of this year, I would not have said central banks would have hiked as much as they did. Certainly, I could be wrong on this. We were wrong this year. But based on where things are at the moment, our expectations are that in Canada, the Bank of Canada, right now, the rate is 3.75%. And we would expect them to hike at least once, maybe twice. So to go from 375 to four to four and a quarter, even call it four and a quarter. And they would probably get to that level by January. And then I would expect them to stop, that we would see over the next couple of months, inflation move a little bit lower, we might see a bit slower growth numbers come out, employment numbers might be a bit soft, and that that would be enough evidence for the Bank of Canada to pause or go on hold. I think it's similar in the US, although it's probably a bit higher because the US economy is a bit stronger. The labor market is a bit tighter there than it is here, I would say. Right now in the US, they are also right around that 375 mark. We think they'll finish somewhere between 45 to 5% and that they'll probably get to that level by the end of the first quarter. So we're probably only call it 4 months away from the end of the tightening cycle and central banks going on hold. And even though we do expect more hikes, we don't think they're done yet. I wouldn't expect that to cause another sell-off or negative reaction in the bond market because that's actually already expected to a large extent. We believe that that's already in the price. That's why we've had a modest sell-off in fixed income. Three or four weeks ago, when some US numbers came out a bit stronger than expected. So, the further rate hikes we see, the modest rate hikes we still expect, I don't expect to cause a sell off in the bond market because I think the market already expects that. And so the prices have already adjusted.
1: You had mentioned government bonds versus corporate bonds. Has there been a significant drawdown on government bonds versus corporate bonds over the last year? Which one do you think will benefit the most over the long term?
2: You've raised a very important point, Steve, because we just talk about bonds and we talk about fixed income, but within the fixed income market, government bonds and corporate bonds are quite different. They're both bonds, they're both debt securities, but they respond very differently to the macroeconomic environment. And so specific to your question, (laughs) the answer is this time, unfortunately, they've both come down a lot. There hasn't been a lot of difference between the performance of government bonds and corporate bonds. And usually there is. And the reason I say that is because a good environment for corporate bonds is an environment where corporate earnings are very good, the economy is in decent shape, and the corporations are generating strong cash flow. And so they have no problem paying their debt, servicing their debt, and corporate bonds tend to perform well in that environment. In that environment, though, If it's a strong economy, you have central banks trying to slow the economy and hiking rates, and that's bad for government bonds. And so the two tend to work opposite. Conversely, corporate bonds tend to do poorly when you have a recession or a challenging economic environment. Earnings are declining or going negative. Cash flow isn't as strong. And companies have a bit more of a challenge servicing and rolling over their debt. But in that environment, you usually have fiscal and monetary policy trying to stimulate the economy and so government bond yields are coming down so the two usually work inverse to each other and that's why in most fixed income solutions you would hold both government bonds and corporate bonds for that diversification as i said this time though unfortunately they both come down together again that goes back to my original comment it's because of inflation inflation's bad for government bonds inflation's bad for corporate bonds To your question about what's better going forward long-term, I would have two points to make there. Short-term, we're still a little bit cautious on corporate bonds because we do think that the potential for a recession next year is increasing and that a recession is not a really great environment for corporate bonds. Now, some of that is already, again, in the price, and that's why corporate bonds have declined somewhat in the last few months. On a short-term horizon, if you're an active manager or you're actively reallocating your portfolio, it might be a bit early to get aggressive on corporate bonds. But if you have a longer-term horizon, three to five years, we generally prefer corporate bonds to government bonds. And part of that is because you do get more yield from a corporate bond versus a government bond. They usually provide what we call a spread So if your five-year Government of Canada bond is at 3%, your investment-grade corporate bond is probably at maybe 4 to 4.5% yield. So you do get that extra compensation for taking more risk because there's really no risk of default in a government bond. But of course, there is some modest degree of default in a corporate bond. And so investors rightly want Higher compensation for taking on that extra risk. And what we have found over time, we and others have done lots of studies and research and empirical research on this that, that extra yield you get from corporate bonds, you do get paid over time that extra yield. The, the term we use is a credit premium. And so if you're willing to withstand a little bit more volatility, having a uh, pretty good allocation to corporate bonds, not only corporate bonds, but probably a healthy allocation of corporate bonds in your portfolio is going to help add return over the long term if you're looking at three to five years.
1: And here's a question that we get a lot. As we all know, we see it on the news. There is a record amount of government debt currently between Canada and US. What sort of effect is this having on fixed income?
2: You're right. You can go back to the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. There's a massive increase in government debt in North America and also in Europe because we had the European debt crisis. You might recall the crisis in Greece and Italy and the peripherals in Europe. And then you move forward to COVID 2020, the pandemic, the shutdown of the economies, and then the massive fiscal response. Governments provided a massive amount of support to individuals and businesses to try to see them through this period of enforced economic shutdown, where the revenues for all these businesses disappeared. And so to prevent massive amounts of bankruptcies and unemployment and long-term destruction of the economy, I think they rightly provided a bridge through this stimulus to individuals and to businesses, especially small businesses, to allow them to still have some form of revenue and not be forced to shut down and go into bankruptcy. But of course, that means they had to issue a huge amount of debt to have this money to provide the stimulus. And so you're right that we've seen another extremely large increase in the amount of government debt that's out there. I would say, though, in the short term, it actually hasn't had that big an impact on where yields are in the bond market. And that's partially because central banks were doing quantitative easing, which meant that it was the central banks that were buying that debt. So it wasn't necessarily bond managers like myself or individual advisors like yourselves or even banks, it was the central banks that were buying the debt. So it didn't really change the supply demand dynamics If you kind of follow that point. But now that central banks are doing the opposite, they're doing quantitative tightening, which means they're looking to shrink their balance sheet, they're looking to sell that debt, or at least not roll it over, let it mature. It's having a little bit of an adverse effect. And so that increase in supply, if you understand economics 101, supply demand, if demand stays constant and supply increases, your prices decline. So that is something we're watching. We don't expect it though to significantly disrupt the bond market. There's different opinions. We talked to a lot of bond managers and a lot of strategists, and there's different opinions out there. Some people believe this is a very significant problem over the next couple of years, and others think it won't be much of a problem at all. We think it'll be a headwind It'll be a little bit of a hurdle for the market to get over, but I don't think it'll cause a major disruption because it's not like the central banks are just going to go dump all these bonds on the market and have just a massive increase in supply. In most cases, they're just going to let it mature. And so it's not actually any sort of forced selling in the market. And that'll probably help stabilize those supply-demand curves. The other thing is, some of you on this call may recall about a month or so ago, a pretty large disruption in the United Kingdom, in the UK. The new government, the trust government came out with what they were calling a mini budget. And they announced a very significant increase in spending without any increases in taxes. In fact, they announced tax cuts. And so this increased spending was unfunded, was unfunded in terms of more new revenues. So that meant they're going to have to issue a tremendous amount of more bonds in order to finance all this spending they announced. Well, the UK bond market essentially revolted against that and said, if you're gonna increase the supply of UK government debt to that magnitude, then the current prices are nowhere near the clearing price of where it's gonna be with all of that debt. And yields went up dramatically in one, two, three days. And then that caused other problems in terms of the UK pension funds and things like that. They had a reverse course. Prime Minister Truss was forced to resign and they got the new prime minister. And the reason I bring that up, that did not have much of an impact on the Canadian or US bond markets, had a little bit of a spillover effect, but not very much. But the reason I bring that up is because it's a bit of a warning shot to other governments in the US, in Canada and Europe that the bond market isn't going to tolerate significant increases in fiscal spending from here. They're telling these governments, you need to get your budget deficits back in order. And if you keep blowing the doors off your budget deficits, then we're not going to bail you out with cheap debt. You're going to have to pay a lot higher interest rate for us to buy your debt. That's a long answer to your question. The massive increase in government debt up until this point has not actually caused a big problem. But if it were to continue over the next couple of years, things have changed a lot in the last 18 months. And going forward, if they continue down this path of continued massive deficits, then it is going to be a problem.
1: And just touching on those UK bonds, Greg, so maybe you can explain, and I don't know if this has happened or not. I'm certainly sure that you saw it, but as yields increased, prices fell Have those prices actually recovered and yields have fallen once again and prices have increased?
2: In fact, it has actually in in the UK because there is a forced change of government and the new prime minister and the new exchequer in the UK basically reversed everything that the prior government had announced and in fact have announced tax hikes in the UK and curtailed almost all of the spending announcements the bond market has been much happier to see the latest government actions. And so prices have recovered, not quite back to where they were pre all of this volatility, but 80, 90% of the sell-off has been reversed in the UK because of the new policies that show a bit more restraint and really a plan going forward of how to bring the UK budget deficit back in line. Interesting. I mentioned a few minutes ago about default and the risk of defaults. It's very hard for governments to default on their own debt if that debt is issued in their own currency, because they also effectively own the printing press and they could just print more money. That's very bad economic policy, and it would lead to higher interest rates, but it means you don't default. Now, In emerging markets, a lot of those countries don't issue debt in their own currency, they issue debt in U.S. dollars, and so that creates problems for them. And certainly corporations who can't just print money to pay for new debt can default if they run into problems. But default rates have been very low, and even though we're a bit cautious on corporate bonds at the moment, we don't expect to see a big increase in default rates going forward probably a modest increase from here, but not a significant increase. Because corporations have done a pretty good job this time of effectively managing their balance sheet. And so the amount of debt on their balance sheet, therefore the amount of debt they have to service is not what we would consider at extreme levels. Whereas going into the financial crisis of 07, 08, corporate balance sheets were in very bad shape. So this time it is different. I think this time it is a little different when it comes to corporate bonds. The other thing that's different, though, is at least in Canada, the consumer is not in very good shape, and this is causing us some concern. The average Canadian consumer has taken on a massive amount of mortgage debt to pay for a house here in Canada. The housing market in Canada is one of the most expensive housing markets in the world when you compare it to incomes, and when interest rates and mortgage rates were extremely low, the servicing costs of those mortgages were manageable, but with mortgage rates now much higher because central banks have hiked interest rates and bond yields have gone higher, over the next year or two, a lot of Canadians are going to be paying a lot more on their mortgage than they had been or were expected to. If they're paying $800 a month on their mortgage or 1000 maybe within the next couple of months, they might have to be paying $1,400 or $1,500. So where does that extra five or $600 a month come from? Some Canadians are going to have a real struggle. Other Canadians, maybe not be that big a struggle, but maybe they don't buy that new TV, or maybe they don't take that second vacation, or maybe they cut back on dinners out or entertainment expenses to be able to more comfortably afford that mortgage. And of course, when you look at that in aggregate across the entire Canadian economy, That is a significant reduction in consumer spending and consumer demand. And that's going to, in our opinion, negatively impact Canadian economic growth over the next year or two.
1: I've got one more question for you because we've taken up about just over half an hour of your time, but some of our clients enjoy or are more comfortable with a fixed-term bond. How do pools behave over that same period of time?
2: It's a very interesting question because... It sounds like they're very different, but actually they're not as different as you might think. There are differences, but at the end of the day, whether an individual owns a single bond, whether it's a government bond or a corporate bond and five year bond or 10 year bond, it's going to mature on such and such a date. And it's going to pay me such and such a coupon semi annually. And I kind of know what I'm going to get. That assumes they hold it to maturity. Well, a bond pool, a bond fund, at the end of the day, owns the same thing. They own fixed rate bonds. They own bonds that have a set maturity date and pay set coupons. It's just they don't own just one or two. They own 60, 70, 80, 100 different bonds. And they own shorter-term bonds, medium-term bonds, long-term bonds, government bonds, corporate bonds, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, what you own is a fixed rate instrument. Now, a bond pool, of course, just like any equity fund, strikes a NAV every day. So you look at the value of all your bonds divided by the number of units, and you have your net asset value per unit of the fund. And if interest rates have happened to have gone up that day or yields have gone up that day, well, the prices have gone down, your NAV has gone down, and so you're going to have a negative return that day. 20, 30 basis points, whatever it happens to be. And obviously, conversely, if interest rates have come down, prices have gone up, you have a positive return that day. And so every single day, all of the bonds in this pool are getting marked to market and that's being reflected in the net asset value. If you own a single or a small group of individual fixed-rate bonds, you're probably not seeing the day-to-day mark-to-market value changes of those fixed rate bonds. And if you're planning to hold at maturity, you probably don't care anyways. But if as an investor, that investor decided, I need to sell that bond because I need this money for whatever reason, or I want to move it to equities, or I want to buy a new boat or whatever it is they want that money for, and they were to go sell that bond prior to maturity, you will not get par on that bond you will get whatever price the market is pricing that bond at at that day. And that could be above par or it could be below par. I think that's about
1: all the time we have for today. It's been great having you on the webinar, explaining to our listeners and viewers what's been going on in the fixed income world, because it has caused a lot of concern for us in 2022. But from the sounds of it going forward, it seems like things are poised to be better. So we're looking forward to that recovery in the markets. I want to thank all our participants for attending. If anyone has questions regarding the presentation, I recommend that you reach out to your advisor or a member of the CM group. And just want to thank you again for joining us. Greg, thanks again for being here today for us. And we look forward to talking to you once again. Thanks again, everyone. And everyone have a
0: great day. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. 3.